Hey everybody, what's up? Sagi here. And before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the Hacking UI podcast, while we still have a lot of downloads for our podcast, is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are not recording any more sessions for the specific podcast. So what you can do right now is, first of all, listen to this episode, and second, know that you can find David on thoughtleaders.io, that's his new business, or you can check out my new podcast, which is called The Creativepreneur Show. And you can just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. So those are the two domains that you would be able to find my show, my new blog, my new community. And I hope uh, to see you there. Also, be sure to follow David Tintner and Sagi Schreiber on Instagram. We're both on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to check out YouTube. Enough with my talking. Oh, my God. So anyways, I hope you guys, though, connect with me and David on the different platforms after this episode. All right. Make sure to do so because we have so much new content for you. And enjoy, guys. Enjoy this episode. The Milwaukee designer hit publish on another post he didn't enjoy writing. He was eager to build a chain of blogs that he could drive traffic to and monetize with ads, but something was missing. He didn't enjoy writing articles for the various subjects, but he loved coding the blogs and crafting the CSS behind them. He leaned back in his chair, looked at the ceiling, and thought what to do next. Then it hit him. He decided to close all of the blogs except for one, and he called it CSS Tricks. That blog became one of the most popular front-end development blogs in the world and paved the way for another product our designer decided to build, a platform to share demos of front-end code. He called it CodePen. Hello, hackers. Thanks a lot for joining us for another episode of the Hacking UI podcast, where we hack our way through design, development, and entrepreneurship. I'm Sagi Schreiber. And I'm David Tintner. Our guest today is the founder of a blog we've been following for years, which is called CSS Tricks. He's also the founder of CodePen, which is the dribble of front-end coding. He's the host of the podcast Shop Talk, speaks in conferences around the world, and this year he published his second book, which is all about using SVG on the web. Ladies and gents, it's our pleasure to present to you Chris Coyer. Let's get hacking! All right, so... Chris, what's up? How's it going today? Really good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for joining us. Great having you on the show. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you today. Congratulations on your journey as well. I, you know, just learned that you're about four months into your to the journey with hacking UI full time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, man. And Chris, you're in California now. Or where are you joining us from today? I I'd had a, a short stint in California, but that was years ago now. Um, it's actually a, an interesting day for me today because my, my kind of permanent home these days is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, Okay, uh, which is somewhat near. I grew up in around Madison, Wisconsin. Milwaukee is like 90 minutes away or so. And so, uh, yeah, after I was out in California, which is the place I lived right before Milwaukee, I was working at SurveyMonkey or whatever, and uh, just kind of decided to move home arbitrarily and buy a house there and and put down roots a little bit. Although I <laughs> I didn't quite do that because as I'm talking to you guys right now, it's my second day in uh, Miami. So I uh, <laughs> we me and my fiance picked up and moved down here just for the the winter, kind of to escape the, the cold <laughs> in Wisconsin. And she has a, a new job here and such. So yeah, I guess I'm a Miami citizen for the next nine months or so. Very cool. I'm actually from uh, Miami originally, living in Tel Aviv oh. now, but that's where I grew up and went to college in Florida too. Wow. 
Nice, cool. Yeah, and I am from California right now. <laughs> <laughs> the whole circle uh, completes itself. I'm actually in Google right now, in Google offices. In, no kidding, uh, really? Mountain View. In Mountain yeah, View? Yeah. In, in Summit here. So I had to find a room to kind of like... Uh, oh, were you were there, there for the Chrome Dev Summit or...? No, there's like a, uh, I'm like a Google mentor at the Google Launchpad. Oh. Every year they have a summit that they bring us all in, like all the experts from basically the rest of the world and have a two-day summit. So I, I kind of like tried to find a room and they said there's no available meeting rooms. So uh, one of the Google guys snuck me in into the gym and I'm here inside like a room inside their gym. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's nice. Wow. They need to build some more buildings, yeah. Google. Get on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I mean, you've been doing so much, man, and we've been following you for so long. You're everywhere. You're like writing, uh, you're leading a lot of changes in the CSS world by your writings and by your experiments. You have a podcast going on. You have CodePen. So much to that you're doing uh, that we really have a lot of questions for you and basically how you do all that at the same time. <laughs> yeah, why don't we start by, can you give us a breakdown of what are you going on with today? What's the life of Chris Corey like today? You pretty much hit all of the things that I do. So it's not too much more than that. You know, it's I have <laughs> I have CSS tricks, which is which is writing and editing and and that site. Uh, and then there's CodePen and the team that's involved there, which is my biggest project. And then my smallest project is I also have a podcast called Shop Talk Show with Dave Rupert. And so, you know, those three things keep me pretty busy, which is pretty similar to what you have going on with Hacking UI. You know, you you write and have a podcast and such. I'm sure, I'm sure our lives aren't that different. <laughs> I mean, it seems that, yeah, the, the amount of articles and, and, and episodes and, I mean, and work that seems that you have going on is just uh, inspiring. So let's get into, we first started following you from the blogging. So I'm curious, I believe you opened up CSS Tricks in 2007, right? Yeah, that's right. I think just coincidentally, it was the 4th of July. <laughs> it was the, the birthday of America. <laughs> nice. So why don't you take us through what that was like at the beginning when you were starting out and, and why you started blogging to begin with? Uh-huh. You know, the, the the story is just that it was kind of part of a air quotes network of blogs at the time. Networks meaning I started a bunch of blogs, the friend of mine, and the, the idea was like, let's just have a bunch of URLs. We'll toss up WordPress on all of them. We'll churn out content for it and we'll put AdSense everywhere we can and hopefully have one of those kind of blog farm kind of things in which that makes money such that it at least supplements what we make from our kind of crappy day jobs. And maybe, <laughs> maybe incrementally, slowly, 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 it will make enough money to, you know, I, I don't know, buy us a pizza or something. Because, you know, in the really early days, blogs make hardly anything, you know, and and, and whatever, those other blogs were kind of like Adobe help blogs. So the reason it was a network is because like, we thought maybe we'll break them up by Adobe property, essentially, and have it be like, you know, <laughs> they weren't called this. I don't even remember what they were called. But it was like InDesign tricks or, or InDesign help and, uh, you know, PDF help and stuff. And it, it would just be articles that just would be really simple content that would with a few screenshots like, did you run into this error? Well, then just do this or whatever. You know, they were, mm -hmm. they were, they were short, easy articles to write. And CSS Tricks was one of them because I'm like, well, we got, a, we got a system now, you know, <laughs> like install WordPress, put this theme on it, put a new header in it, go, you know. Uh, but it wasn't very inspiring. They did not last very long just because we mostly found it kind of boring. It just was just not the most fun articles to write. And we'd have to be in trying to inspire each other to do it. You know, like, oh, come on, man, just at least get one article out today kind of thing. And, and eventually it just fell away because it was just like, yeah, it was, it was a, we tried, <laughs> you know, but 
it wasn't that fun. But what was fun was actually setting up the sites themselves and designing the banner to go in the top and, you know, do it, tweaking WordPress to do what I wanted it to do and, and learning CSS along the way. And so, you know, the one that I was most interested in writing for was CSS tricks back then. And, and when they all kind of closed down around it, I was like, I'm going to keep the CSS one because I like that one. That's the, that's what, that one's the most fun for me. And I, I've kind of since stopped caring if it, if they ever made any money or not, you know, because the CSS tricks one had a little bit of engagement too. You know, there'd be a few people that read it, you know, as soon as somebody leaves like a comment on one of your blog posts, you're like, what? <laughs> somebody cares about what I read, you know, or what I wrote, yeah. which is pretty motivational, you know? So I think, you know, the second you get your first comment on something you wrote, it's just, it can be a little addictive, you know, you just roll with it. So yeah, the adrenaline rush of putting something out there to the world and getting feedback from it. Yeah, the journalism rush, is that what they call it? The adrenaline rush. <laughs> I, I, oh, the adrenaline, adrenaline rush, rush, I think, yeah. Yeah, and I still find that motivating, you know? It's pretty. It's it's a lot easier to write when you know that somebody's going to read what you write. So that, that holds true today, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can totally agree with that. So at the beginning, I'm curious, when you were trying to get users to read your stuff, and especially like seeking that, the comments or the feedback, were you doing anything in particular to promote your post and to like get them to, to users, to readers? You know, I think the, the most popular tactic back then was the uh, commenting on other people's sites. It just was a lot more, I don't know, it felt more organic and fun back then. Be like, okay, well, you want, you know, most blogs had like a link back kind of thing where you not only leave your name, but you leave a link to your site as well. And, you know, if you left something thoughtful on their site, there's a pretty good chance that they would at least check it out as the owner of that blog. You know, you get a link back out of it, which didn't doesn't hurt for, for Google Juice, or at least it didn't back then. Uh, you know, other people reading the site might follow along too. And, and it kind of felt like that was almost part of the job, you know, writing and blogging is part of the job and going out there and participating in the larger community was part of the job too. Uh, and I, you know, you, you see a little bit of, of that these days, but not, not so much anymore, at least not on CSS tricks. People just coming and leaving something thoughtful just because you hope that they hope that you're going to check out what they're doing as well. Comments are just weird these days. They're just not, not what they used to be. Yeah, we actually uh, completely disabled comments on Hacking UI a few days ago. But I mean, for the past like year or so, at least more, even more, it just comments were kind of totally dead. I mean, all the engagement that we had was through email or through social media and almost nothing on the actual site itself. Whereas you're right, at the beginning when we started, that was like something we were trying to, you know, really design the comments for engagement. And we're saying, this is where we want to have the conversation. And by the way, I'm not. I'm still not sure that it's like the the, the right way to go that that we disable comments. I mean, but I mean, Jeffrey Zelman says he like still treats every comment and answers it like personally. But yeah, comments are just aren't the same anymore. No, I I don't I don't have the answers for it either. You know, once in a while I'll I'll have a moment where I think I'm going to do it, kill comments, and then what I end up doing is writing it down. So I have kind of a notes file that was like it kind of documents what I was feeling at the time and what are the you know, what are the, the strong points for shutting down comments? And then I just kind of let it percolate. And to this, to the, to, at the moment, I'm still like, yeah, it's not that big of a problem. You know, a lot of times it's to me when I'm really feeling it, like a moment in which I think, okay, this is it. I'm going to shut them down. It's usually just because it's one, it's one jerk, you know? And I'm like, eh, that's not, that's not a good enough of a reason, you know? I do feel like the overall quality of comments just kind of internet wide has has declined. Um, and, you know, even in the niche of of design and development blogging and stuff, the, the, the quality has gone down. But there's enough value there that's fine. And But, you know, that the idea that your engagement is fragmented across other things is 
that's tricky too. Cause it's like, it's kind of like, fine, who cares? You know, if you're engaging with me, that's good period. So like, if you want to do that where you're comfortable doing that, fine. But then it's, then it's kind of lost, you know, it's a lot easier to have that value be limited to only the people that are on that shared platform. So I think that's a struggle a bit. Like, you know, if I had all day, every day to manage comment threads, I think I would engage with anybody wherever and then port it back to a common comment thread in a database that I own. You know, I'd be like, there's a conversation that happened over here on Twitter or whatever, and I'm going to embed that thread here in the comments of this blog post because I don't want it to be lost in time. You know, there was interesting things being said there, you know. But unfortunately, I don't. Once in a while, I will. Or if, so, if you know, so I close comments over time because that's almost a sure thing that uh, if somebody leaves a comment on a post three years ago, that it's it's kind of worthless. Even if it's not spam, nobody else is going to see it. Not nobody, but the chances are fairly low. So what I do is just close them and say, if you have something to say about this, though, you know, like you were about to leave a comment and are now disappointed that comments are closed you know, don't be email me because I'll read it. I'm, <laughs> I'm still interested. And if you have something important to say, I'll update the post or I'll allow you to leave that comment or I'll leave that comment for you or something. I don't want I don't want that to be gone forever. So updating blog posts is there's probably twice as much work updating posts as there are posting new ones, I'd say. Are you going back through old blog posts a lot? And aside from a user telling you something like that, are you doing it on your own? Yeah, we do it proactively and and in reaction to. And in fact, so blog posts are dated, so it's easy to just go find an old one and update it. I used to I used to do that more than I should, but there's also this, you know, there's different sections of CSS tricks. For example, there's um, an almanac section which in which the posts aren't dated. They're just organized by are you a selector and they're organized alphabetically and such. They do have dates on them when you go to the page. It will tell you when it was last updated, but they're not like organized by date. So I have some like hidden kind of admin pages that sort those pages by date because it's interesting to know like, you know, what's an almanac page in our almanac that hasn't been touched in three years. We Mm -hmm. should know that because chances are there's going to be outdated information in that. And so once in a while, I'll grab one of those and just look through it and make sure it's uh, it's up to date. And it's not only, you know, some of it is the content in there, but some of it's just like, well, oh, we format things a little bit differently now. So it's this is an opportunity to go clean up some HTML or and just make sure that that page looks and behaves correctly. Okay. It sounds amazing, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, how do you find the time? Because you're, you're writing so much and then, and to go back through old posts too. How do you find the time to manage that in addition to the new well, content? I don't know, like, how does a mechanic find time to sweep the shop? You know, they have to, otherwise they'll <laughs> trip on grease and stuff and go out of business. I don't know. It's it's just when it's the job, it's the job. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, something that we come across uh, well, now that we have Hacking UI full time is that we find a lot of our time is going on, let's say, you know, we have a podcast, so now it's creating the art for the podcast and making the post for the podcast. And, and doing so many things which are like around the content that we find less time to actually create the content in terms of like taking care of everything because we have a lot of podcasts going on, but we haven't written, like I haven't specifically written an article in a long while. Uh, David had the 30-day challenge, so he wrote every, every day for the past uh, almost month. But also like doing, doing content for the blog is like something that it seems that you have down as mandatory time in your, in your day or week. And, and we kind of don't. So can you fill us in on, on how you day looks like maybe? I don't know that I have it down, but I, but I, I do think that people probably treat blog posts as a little bit more 
as a, a bigger deal or holy or something than they really are. You know, I even Jeremy Keith once famously said to, I don't even know what where to send you for the link for this. I don't remember what context he said it in, but kind of treat your blog as your drafts folder. And that, you know, if you have some kind of burgeoning thought that you're like, oh, I'm not ready to blog that yet. It's just kind of a draft in my brain. You're like, no way, man, just publish it. That's, you know, <laughs> blog posts should be kind of like your drafts in a way. They don't have to be these, you know, glistening tutorials or, or anything. A, a blog post can be anything. It could be a conversation that you copy and pasted from your phone over or, you know, I even have a big a list that I've started recently to, to remind myself of what a blog post can be. It can just be a link to somebody else with some commentary about what's going on. It could be, you know, lately I've I've seen a few Git repos that are like, oh, here's this cool thing that we have and it doesn't have a live demo. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Maybe what my blog post will just be is like, oh, look at this cool repo I saw. And here's a demo that I put up because they didn't have a live demo. So I'm just going to do that for them kind of thing. Oh, cool. That could be a blog post. Or, you know, there's just there's just an unlimited amount of things that a blog post can be. Here, Oh, here's something. I was at a meetup last night and it, it, w- it went through my mind. It's just something I thought of. Here's something I learned this week. It's little, probably everybody already knows it, but I just learned it. So here it is kind of thing. And I, I hope CSS Tricks has that vibe. And I'm sure we could do even better, I think, in that regard. But, you know, because blog posts can be anything and they can be small and they can be big, and, you know, just it's the flow, I think, that's more important. It's the idea. It's the just get it out there. It's an, it becomes not so hard is my point. Love it. Love it. Okay. Now, just before we continue, we want to take a short break to give a shout out to our sponsors. Hey, everyone. So we already told you about the design tool survey that we put together with General Assembly. If you missed that, head on over to hackingui.com slash tools and check it out. But now I would like to tell you about something cool that General Assembly made for you. It's called Dash, and it's a tool to help you learn HTML, CSS, and JavaScript by coding an interactive web page with your own bare hands. It's awesome because even if you don't want to be a front-end developer, as a designer, it will help you gain comfortable understanding of coding terminology, and also you'll be able to communicate more effectively with your team members. Plus, of course, you'll gain competitive advantage in a job market. So head on over to hackingui.com slash tools and hit the link to Dash by General Assembly. It's awesome. And I actually signed up myself and started learning to improve my front-end skills. So again, it's hackingui.com slash tools and just you'll find the link and banner to Dash. There's something also in your writing that I really admire that I noticed is that you have this attitude of, um, especially when people write about code, it can be a very sensitive subject. People are super opinionated, but it seems like your posts have this attitude of like, you know, here's my experience. Here's what I learned. I'm sharing it with you. It might not be the best way, but this is what I learned kind of a vibe. Yeah. And and that can be defensive as well. It can be, you know, I'm not an expert in this thing, but this is what I literally did in literal production on a literal website. (laughs) So like it has some cachet, you know, it has some, you know, like, I don't know. I think, you know, I know what you mean though. People are so worried that they wrote something that's, that's, you know, quote unquote wrong or something Mm -hmm. that people, that they're going to get jousted in the comments for doing it wrong it's like well i didn't do it wrong because i it's live on a website <laughs> or, or and if you did and if, if there's some other kind of better way to do it then then wonderful then thanks for the comments i'll i'll do that uh, or I'll, I'll explore your idea as well but it, it doesn't hurt that my blog is about more front-endy stuff because i think that 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 danger is higher when you write back endy stuff, you know, if, mm-hmm. you know, if you're like, oh, let me let me show you how our login system works, kind of thing. Those are things that there is a little bit more right and wrong to, you know, like if you 
encourage some, the use of some kind of insecure login method or something, I would be a lot more nervous about writing about stuff like that because I think you really can write a insecure login system. And, and that's a good point. That would be more of a problem. But if it's just like, how do you do rounded corners or whatever, nobody cares if it's slightly different than the next person. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point. I never thought about that, but you're saying it's uh, safer to be a front-end blogger. <laughs> so we're lucky. <laughs> In a sense, yeah. You can screw up the front-end too, but yeah, not as dangerously perhaps. So CSS Tricks is built on WordPress, right? Yeah. And I know like in uh, Shop Talk Radio, you're talking about WordPress a lot. Is WordPress the best technology for a blog today, would you say? If you're going to start a blog today or giving advice to someone who wants to start a blog, would you say to use WordPress? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I'm a fan of WordPress and what it does for me and what it's done for CSS Tricks. I, I wrote a post, I don't know, it was in the last year, I think, about how WordPress is kind of a poster child for WordPress because it... It uses like every single WordPress feature that there is, you know, starting at one of the core things that I, I think people should think about in uh, in regards to WordPress is that it's it, it's a login system, basically, like it, it has user management. I, I log in to my own website and can write and publish posts from my own website. Mm -hmm. So like, do you need that? Is that is that a requirement of the blog? Because if it is, then WordPress is the, is that gets a bunch of points for WordPress because it can do that. Or if somebody's like, oh, well, I like Jekyll or whatever. I like Jekyll too. Jekyll's great. It's amazing. There's, I like all the flat file generators. I think that's a, a really cool way to publish a website. But it, most of them, it comes with the idea that there either is no UI, there is no like web-based component for writing new content, or it's a third-party add-on kind of situation. Okay. So I, I think, okay, that's just one thing. It has user management. Not only can I log in and, and you know write new content and arrange content and kind of visually arrange things, there's all this like backend power of WordPress, but there's also like, well, I can have authors too. And authors can log in and work on their, their posts, but they can't touch anything else on the site. And I can have forum administrators too. Well, that's another thing on C-Strict. There's forums on it. So forums kind of require this structure and this database system and that kind of thing. Oh, I sell stuff on the site too. Oh, thank God there's really easy, powerful plugins for WordPress to allow for that. I have comments too. There's um, going on a hundred thousand comments left on CSS tricks. Wow. That's those are all those, all those comments are in my database. They come, I can design them. I take care of the features around them and check them for spam and all that stuff. It's content that's, you know, that lives with me and on my site, you know, I can theme WordPress. I'm, I'm comfortable with that kind of thing. I can cache it. I can have hosting from through a hosting company that knows what they're doing because WordPress is so big and popular. You know, There's this community around WordPress that allows me to reach out to people who are smarter than me and, and know how it works because it's such a giant community of people around it. It's like, there's all this stuff. Like if there's a feature of WordPress, I'm, I probably am using it and it just works out great for me. It has nothing to do with the next person who wants to start a blog, you know? Okay. In fact, some people are like, oh, you know, I wouldn't, if somebody said, I, I'm thinking about just blogging on Medium, I'd be like, cool, fine. Sounds good. Do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a tricky world to navigate now because it feels like there's a different purpose a little bit for Medium than a regular blog, but I'm still not sure exactly what that is. I've kind of experimented with putting like personal posts on Medium, but are like design and development posts on Hacking UI. I think there's something to be done with both. I don't know. Every. Mm -hmm. 
people are totally just figuring that stuff out still, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of people that think of it as a place to cross post things that, that, that was, that was hot for a minute. Although I see less and less of that. Some people, you know, and, and the idea there being like, well, I'm going to post on my own site first, you know, indie web, you know, own it. But for some reason they feel like medium has better distribution or something, which I, you know, I don't, if it does, it does, you know, mm. then they cross post it over to medium. But I've, I've heard compelling arguments the other way too. Like, no, let's start on medium and we'll use our site to just kind of archive it. Because Medium's where we want to be. And it's such a nice editor to write post in, too. It's really simple to get it out there. Yeah, when's WordPress going to do something with that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind the WordPress editor. I mean, I'm surely it could be reinvented and I could be impressed or whatever. But I just have been using it so long that it feels comfortable to me to just basically write in a text area. <laughs> <laughs> The question I'm trying to figure out today is I have a lot of people who don't want to code that just want to publish. And I'm trying to figure out the best way for them to get a blog going, because I totally agree with you. Everything on WordPress, we're using WordPress also in Hacking UI for all the plugins, the more advanced stuff. And, but if you don't want to code or you don't have anything, I'm wondering what a good solution is for that today, whether WordPress.com is good enough or if it's, um, yeah, you can't, you can't go too wrong there because like starting on WordPress feels fairly safe to me. Also, because, again, because of how big WordPress is, there's, uh, there's plenty of tools to be like WordPress 2X. So if the day comes along that you decide that you need to move off WordPress for some legitimate reason, there's a pretty good chance that you'll be able to export your stuff from WordPress to whatever you need to mm-hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. I want to ask you about how you've been monetizing the blog throughout the years and how that's changed. Can you give us kind of like a, a rundown of, of that? I mean, I, I know there's advertising on the site now. Was it always uh, the same way or how did you start? Yeah, pretty much. I think in the early days it was, you know, let's get some AdSense on there and see how that goes. And then when those, you know, like the, when those really early days blogs kind of went away, I think we kind of just shut down all the AdSense stuff too. And, you know, I've never been like a super big fan. On you know, those days it was just like little text blurbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I was always like, yeah, this is kind of gross anyway and I'm not making any money anyway. So I think I pulled them off and did nothing for a while. But at least the expectation was set that I had advertising early on. And then it wasn't too much longer until somebody approached me that said, we'd like to, you know, put an ad on your site and how much do you want for that? And that was also a big moment, you know, similar to that moment of somebody leaving a comment on your site for the first time and the adrenaline rush or whatever, that there's proof that somebody read it. It's also very powerful to be like, oh, we see your site. It, you know, it looks like the kind of site that reaches our customers. And can we put an ad on it? And I was like, I have no idea how this works, but here's a number. Let's call that one month of time on the site and I'll put your stuff on there. And when the month goes by, you can either re-up or I'll take your ad down kind of thing. They were down with it and I took their money and put the ad on the site. And I was like, wow, wow, that's pretty cool. And I think at the time I probably thought of it as supplementary to AdSense, you know, like, oh, that was a cool side deal. But, you know, who knows how long that'll go on or if that's commonplace or not. Uh, so that was early days, and then you know, I, I did manage it myself for a while. There's probably there's probably periods in there of months, if not years, where I just kind of made an advertising page and said, "If you want to advertise, reach out to me," and kind of hand managed it all. Uh, and then for I'd say most of the history of CSS Tricks, it was buy sell ads, which is kind of a it's an ad network that's fairly specific to web tech and design and stuff market. And the the promise was not only it's kind of like if you're on our network, then you're going to make sales because people go to the network of buy sell ads to you're going to get more ad sales on, you know, they take a cut, but you're going to sell more ads than you would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. 
which I think was true. And it's self-service. So I no longer have to manage anything. I just put by sods in the set, sit back and wait, and was fine. And there was a there was a, a glory, the glory days for that type of stuff, you know? Like not that I was making a ton of money, but it, ad sales were always full and I was happy with how things were going and it was just fine. You know, if anything, buy sell ads would be contacting me like you should open up more zones because there's so much interest here. And I that was always kind of a, a dance between wanting CSS tricks to feel fairly light and not one of those intensely advertised on sites and still make enough money to be worth doing. And then, it, you know, then a mix would come along and then a really good advertiser would come along and contact me and I'd be like, oh, I think I'll hand, I'll handhold this one. Cause why not? You know, it's a, it's a big sale and I won't have to take the 25% cut and whatever, but I can run it alongside buy, sell ad stuff. So, you know, these days it's pretty much like that. I still work with buy, sell ads. I still like them. They sell some portion of the ads on the site. I sell some portion of the ads on the site. There's some partnership stuff that happens on CS's tricks. There's other little things here and there. Um, and, and I would say the, the biggest change in the last year or two years is that display advertising, just at least for me, just, just doesn't do that well. I wish it would, but it's just, it, it's not terribly surprising to me because I mean, how often do you click on ads on sites? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know for me, yeah. it's not very often. <laughs> But what does work on me is like, I, I do like podcast ads and I do like, you know, posts like, if, you know, if I'm reading a blog and they publish a post that was clearly marked as sponsored and it says, this is what this product is and they're sponsoring the site this week. I'm like, cool, I get it. Those were, those were some words that I can relate to or whatever. And it gave them an opportunity to just explain something in their own words, what a product or service does. I've always liked that. And so I started doing that on CSS Tricks as well. And I think that's our most effective style of advertising. I don't think it's our biggest slice of the pie yet, but I expect it will be one day. Mm-hmm. And I always try to sell people on that. You know, if you if they come somebody comes to me and wants to advertise or or you know, a lot of times you'll get an email. But I bet you guys get these emails too of somebody that's like, I made this infographic, you should post it on your site. Or you know, <laughs> you know, what they're trying to do is contact marketing. You know, they're tr- they're trying to get you to post about them. Or they they'll even offer to write it themselves or or something, you know. Uh, I always, I never accept anything like that, you know, because it just, it usually doesn't have the right vibe. And it's like, if if that's what people thought of as this site, it would be gross in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but I'd be willing to work with you if you want to buy a sponsored post and they're not particularly cheap, you know, I, I, well, maybe they are for what you get. I I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't mean to say that, but they're not, you know, they're not $10 or whatever, Mm -hmm. they're money. And then I can help you write it and I can help you reach our audience in, in, in a more honest, but still sponsored way. Cool. And then you write the post for them and they just approve the the message or something at the end. Sometimes, you know, I'd almost prefer that they write it and I, and I kind of can sign off on it or we work together on it. They put a draft and I'll, I'll do that kind of thing. It really doesn't matter who writes it as long as it feels like an honest explanation of what they did. And it can take any form. It could be one paragraph long. It could be a whole tutorial. I don't care. We mark them as sponsored. You know, it's very clear to the audience. What In the past, when we haven't marked them as sponsored, you know, in the early days, I was still figuring this out. I got extremely negative comments about that. They, you know, people don't like that. They don't like to be advertised to without it being disclosed. And I, I don't blame them. So, you know, these days it's very, it's fairly clearly um, disclosed and, and they still tend to do fine. You know, we track analytics on these things and the, the advertising that does the best arts is sponsored content for sure. But that's a good point. I just want to bring you back to that for a second. Cause I think, I know that's something that we've actually dealt with, you know, throughout this journey too. And I guess a lot of people are probably figuring out along the way, especially when you start like making money from your content for the first time, 
Like I know we had an issue, a situation in the newsletter at the beginning where we had some sponsored links where we said, oh, what's the difference? Like these are these are products that we're not accepting uh, sponsors that we don't like agree with or sponsors that we don't think have good products. But we said like, okay, so they're a good sponsor. We'll put them in the link section. And we didn't say sponsored on it. After like f- only a few times or so of doing that, we changed it and had it say sponsored because we got negative comments. And we also just felt like we were totally losing people's trust, even though we said, you know, look, we vetted it. We're not letting bad products in here. These are good products. But still, there's something, there's such a, a trust that I think you have to build with your audience. Yeah. I mean, you can, it's one thing to say it like, oh, I don't think this is affecting my, my journalism here, mm-hmm. but you, you don't even know if it is. Yeah. They yep. gave you money. You're, t- you're a tainted source at this point. You know, money has changed hands here. You need to disclose that. Otherwise, you, you know, you don't even, you don't even know what it's doing to your own brain necessarily. So it's just the safest thing is to just disclose it. Yeah. It's definitely something I think most people probably will come across as they're, doing their own blog or newsletter or whatever it is. And it's just like... The, the fear, though, is there, right? The fear is that as soon as I put sponsored there, it's it's worth less. It's, people are going to not click, just instantaneously not click on it because it says sponsored. Yeah. And that I don't know if that's true. In fact, I don't know. I mean, how do you A-B test? I mean, there probably is a way to A-B test that. But like, first of all, it's the right thing to do. So just I would consider keep doing it. But it's it, it's not so bad that putting sponsored on something reduces its value to nothing. In fact, mm-hmm. I think they can still do extremely well. Yeah. Yeah, if it's relevant to the audience. Yeah. I think it's kind of like balancing that short-term gain that you might have with amount of value that you lose in the long term with, you know, your blog or whatever it is, your podcast, your newsletter, that there's real value to be lost in the long run if you lose people's trust. Just anecdotally, can you think of sites that don't disclose advertising that have just been around forever or in a long-term trusted source of information? Definitely yeah. not, you know. Mm-hmm. I would, the real trustworthy news sources are very clear about disclosing everything. And, you know, I I wish I almost like went to school for journalism because this stuff is like clearly defined, I think, you know, like, like actual journalists know this stuff. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Well, De- David was in journalism school. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually studied journalism in school. Yeah. But it's definitely 100%. Well, yeah. So if you're going to quote somebody, there's a way you got to do it. If there's a, you know, if there if there's sources for an article, there's a, there's a way. I don't know. There's there's just stuff that's not clear to the rest of us that hopefully is clear to you as a journalism student. Definitely. And I think that this is also, it's like a very interesting territory that we're all kind of treading on. I mean, not that blogging is so new or podcasting or any of these forms are so new, but it's kind of like walking a fine line between, you know, it's not traditional journalism by any means. But it definitely still is journalism, and there's still there's still some of those the same basic laws still apply. Yeah, and hopefully the the closer you adhere to them, the better job you're doing. Definitely. And also, I just want to just give a, a bit of like a, something for the listeners of this podcast that uh, what we're talking about is is basically a bullshit radar that everybody has, and it's your brand. So once you have advertisement, and you just like you just say, okay, it's an it's an ad, it's sponsored. First of all, it doesn't hurt your brand. And actually, it gives you like people see you as fair that you're pointing out to them that this is sponsored uh, in opposed to when you don't. And then they, they you get on their bullshit radar and then your brand is hurt for forever. So it's very easy. We all have our bullshit radars on like 24-7 these days and, and, you know, when you're surfing the web. So just like it's a branding thing and branding is super important. That's a very good way to put it is that, yeah. As soon as you've you've lost, you know, there's some boy cried wolf stuff in there too. You know, once you've broken some trust, it's it's very difficult to get back. And all right, I want to jump ahead a little bit and ask you about CodePen. So we've been talking about CSS tricks basically up until this point, 
But can you let us know, how did the idea for CodePen come about and how did you start working on that? Uh, the early days of, of CodePen, you know, like the really early days, like the, oh, let's just build something days with some friends where uh, the, the idea was kind of based around CSS tricks. It was it was kind of like, well, I have so many demos on CSS tricks. That's that's the kind of the meat of CSS tricks, the best articles, the what it's known for kind of section. I used to even have a section just for just the examples on CSS mm-hmm. tricks that you could browse through and be like, oh, here's the thing that's the accordion or whatever. And you could just just see the demo and just grab the download if you wanted to if you didn't even care about the the article anyway pe- you know people like the demos these days it's it's a it's a mixture it's more of a it's a there's certainly plenty of demos on css tricks but there's editorial and links and there's just a lot more going on but anyway anytime that there's today there's a post on uh, uh, there's a really great post i think by alicia sedlocks is an intro to monkey testing with Gr- gremlins js and it's kind of like <laughs> it, it, you have a, a a form let's say you have some HTML of a form and you want to make and th- or, or a complete a complete form with CSS and JavaScript or whatever. It's like a real form on your real website. You want to make sure that it doesn't mess up, you know, that it can't get into a weird state where you can't submit it or that something is hidden or like there's or some accessibility problem with it or something. It's kind of like what Gremlins JS does is it just unleashes random insanity on that page. Just just taps and clicks at any random coordinate and scrolling and swiping and you know random input being put in it's if you look at the demos of it it's just like insane it's just like wow you know just blast <laughs> random data onto this face and try to screw it up the idea is try to you know do so much insane interaction with this form to see if it can hold up to it and so that, there's actual demos in the in the thing it's, it's kind of like we can just tell you about that but a really cool you know the way to really drive this home is if you can see it happening and that's true of any front end anything you know if i have a post about you know how to do realistic looking drop shadows and css or something it's one thing to write paragraphs about that even better is to look at example css of that even better than that is putting those two things together being able to read about it, being able to look at small, really relevant bits of code, and then a full, complete demo where I'm actually looking at, not even a screenshot of it, the real thing. I want to see real output of code. And so how CSS Tricks used to do that is, here's the article, here's the code snippets, here's a button that says View Demo, and you click View Demo, and it opens a new tab or whatever, and mm-hmm. and shows you the demo. And if you want to check out how it was built, you know you can go back to the blog post and read, or you can view source, or use the web inspector and dig into it, or whatever. But then you know th- these other tools started coming along, like JS Bin and JS Fiddle and stuff, which is you know a lot of us are familiar with today. These editors in which that you're looking at those two things side by side. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the HTML and the CSS and the JavaScript and the output of those all together, and it's just was awesome. Is a really compelling way to look at a demo. It just makes sense. It's like we take that for granted these days, but not those things didn't always exist. But to now it's just like, oh, I see. Here's the JavaScript. I can edit it to change, you know, what's happening in this other part of the screen over here. It's just, it's it really changed, you know, writing about uh, uh, web development, learning, teaching web development, how editors are built today. Even the tools that we expect to be built into our editors and stuff. A lot of that was was happening at the same time. It was like. Okay, cool. So what I probably should do is like move every single demo on CSS Tricks over to JS Fiddle because wow, what a what a great product. I should do that. That if people would be much happier to click over and be looking at a demo there than looking at a demo just on a flat page where they have to web inspect things for themselves. But then I was like, that feels dangerous to me. You know, and I would have been okay doing it looking back through time because JS uh, Fiddle's still around, still 
chugging away just fine. So, but I didn't know that. Like, what if it, what if it shut down? What if, you know, a butterfly flapped its wings and history was changed a bit and it, and it, and something bad happened to it or any other service that I would have picked. And not only that is that I had monetized my demos a little bit. I had like a bar across the top that like, you know, gave some context for the demo and I had an ad in there. I was like, oh, maybe I'll build, you know, my own system that's like JS Fiddle. But it allows me to brand it. I could I could monetize it if I wanted to. I could control the features that it had. Whatever. Maybe I'll open source it. Maybe I won't. That kind of thing. And I was like, I'm gonna pull my friends into this because I could take a stab at building it, but they could, you know, they could help me do a better job. And in fact, you know, why don't I get a, you know, somebody who knows servers and databases and stuff and really do it correctly also while we're at it, instead of me just hacking my way through some weird front end database or something. Uh, so, you know, th- that was what, what it was early on is let's rebuild one of these existing tools, but let's, you know, let's try to do a better job. Let's try to make it, let's try to make the best one of these versions is what it became right away. Uh, you know, and then it's like, it's not open. Some of part, little bits of it are open source, but the whole thing is an open source because it's so integrated with our complex server architecture and our payment system and our login system and stuff. It's like, it just isn't whatever. It's more like software. It's it's not open source. Just like Git, GitHub isn't open source. <laughs> so, at what point did you did you realize that it was something that it was going to be more than just uh, for your own use on CSS tricks and something that uh, everyone could use? Well, when we were building it, 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 it was kind of like let's. We had to make that call kind of early. It's like let's just put it up on a on a real domain for now mm-hmm. and kind of launch it as that, which was CodePen.io. And, uh, and just make sure that, it, you know, we're developing it there first before we decide what else we want to do. And then we launched it on CodePen. And it was like, okay, this is working. This is cool. This is cool. And then it built some admin pages because we're like, you know, we had this thought really early on. And it's like, as cool as these other tools are that exist in the same market, how do you know what the coolest things that people are building on them are right now? Like, what was the coolest fiddle of the day? Who knows? You could troll around Twitter, I guess, but that's not like a super good indication of it. So it's like, let's make sure that we make our homepage not the editor so that we have this portal to CodePen that we could do anything with. And we'll see what happens with that over time and can evolve it. But we'll make the editor buried kind of one URL deep on the site. Uh, and so we have an admin section as well that we built and we just wired up some code early on that, that showed us a list of all the pens that were created that day, which became very addicting to go to that page and just like open, 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 open all the things and just see what people built. And we're like, whoa, look at this one. How cool is that? You know, we were just kind of seeing how people used CodePen for and what they used it for. And we, we, you know, we had accounts early on so that when, you know, if you wanted to come back to the work that you had created, you could which meant that you have a profile page. So let's build out a profile page. Oh, these are so cool. Why don't we just build an admin interface so that we can like click a button and send them to the homepage and make the homepage just our editor's picks of like cool things that people are building. And those will just link out to that person's account where they can get that. And then there's this kind of this fun thing that happens of people intentionally building beautiful things because they want to be featured on the homepage. And so there's that. And then it, once you have these things are falling into place, you're like, well, you should be able to follow developers and they should be able to follow you back. We should put comments on it. We should, you know, all the like componentry that that became what CodePen is now kind of fell into place because of those early choices. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, you can really obviously feel it when you're using CodePen, but it's it, it makes sense that the community was such an early aspect of it. That you went in that direction so early on because it's so strong now with the community. Yeah, I mean, j- we're in November right now, and there's this well phenomenon in November we learned about last year called uh, Code Vember, and there's like variations <laughs> of it. There's Node Vember and all these things, but 
it's just, it's this like movement that we don't really have anything to do with. We didn't invent it. We didn't, you know, we just kind of support it. And people use CodePen, but but other tools as well to just like take the opportunity to do, you know, how you just, it sounds like you just completed a 30 day writing challenge kind of thing. Yep. People use this as a 30 day coding challenge. Ah, very cool. Okay. But they go nuts. It's like it has it has more momentum in November than you know. There's always amazing stuff happening all the time on CodeBen, but this one has a has a spirit of its own. So it's it's insane with you know, and that's just comes from you know arbitrary community. There's it's community in every sense of the word at at CodePen. All kinds of community things happen. So who's working on CodePen today? It's nine total. Okay, folks, these days it's small in all senses of the you know, or I, I guess. Sometimes I always thought, you know, you know, when you're smaller than another team and that team calls themselves small, I always feel like, you know, there's there's teams that I I talk to, they're like, well, we're only 50 people, we're super small. I'm like, <laughs> you're enormous, 50 people <laughs> small. You know, I know in the grand scheme of, of, you know, companies, maybe they do think of themselves as small, but uh, nine still feels very small. I mean, we all know each other very well, we hang out together and, you know. It feels small. Like there's no, everybody knows exactly what's going on with every other person in a way. You know, I think that's when you're not small anymore is when, you know, there's a few people that don't know each other very well or on, on totally different teams and have never talked to each other and that kind of thing. We're very far away from that. So the only reason we have nine is because about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, we took a f- round of funding with the whole idea of let's use that money to hire some people and, and build, 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 you know. And are there plans to hire more people and, and continue growing in that same way? Or is it something that you want to keep small? It's my, it's my plan. <laughs> I mean, I would love for us to just grow and grow and grow and grow, you know, of, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there may be limits to that. If we were growing, I'm sure there's companies that occasionally grow so fast that it gets away from them and they don't like that, but that we're not at risk for that. Nothing I've ever built is at risk of insane growth to that level, but yeah, oh, I'd, I'd love to see the day where twice as many people, you know, and I think I think we all would because, you know, we're all like, oh, there's, so, you can look at our roadmap, we can look at our internal GitHub board and Trello boards and all that stuff and be like, there's so much here, we could keep another team just as large as us busy easily, I would think. So I'd love to keep growing. We just can't because then we would fail. You know, <laughs> like the idea is, is to grow slowly to the point where you can pay everybody <laughs> and you're fairly reason- you're very confident that you can continue paying everybody. So we're pretty close to being even again. Uh, we're not quite there yet. We still, I mean, that's the point of taking funding is that you're burning money faster than you can earn it at least right away. And then you claw your way back to profitability and then you make the choice if you're going to do it again or or what or just you know only keep spending uh, how much more you're making so mm-hmm. it's close and we'll make the call when we get there you know okay so what's the collaboration like between codepen and css tricks today you know i mean i run them both so fairly strong in that way it's just you know every every post on css tricks if we can use a codepen an embedded pen we will or, you know, and or I, I announce CodePen news on CSS tricks, you know, as much as I can and, and stuff like that. Uh, I'm the only like crossover employee, though. Uh, Marie, who's support at CodePen and community and all kinds of other stuff, um, started working at CSS tricks and then for a while did both. And then I was like, I'm just going to go full, full CodePen. So, I mean, we're all friends. Everybody, you know, I think knows or is aware of each other and stuff, but they're otherwise totally separate teams. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I mean, it's definitely an awesome platform I have. I think every company would have dreamed to have a, a blog like CSS Tricks that can, you know, also help support their product. Yeah, we, we I mean, we lucked out to a degree in that way and that we don't have to really 
pay for marketing and so much. And that, there's multiple reasons. I mean, it's one is that I, I built, spent so much time building brands and everybody that works with us has to some degree has their, their own audience that they can bring to it. But, you know, we get a, we got a bit of a lift, especially in the earlier days from, from CSS tricks. I, I don't know that it's that how big of a deal it is anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but I think the crossover is such that we've kind of, we've tapped out what CSS tricks can give CodePen and CodePen is now much larger of a enterprise than, than CSS tricks is. So that's probably about, about tapped out. Okay. And you said everyone who works at CodePen also has uh, their own audience? Well, to a degree, you know, I mean, every, you know, I think literally everybody has written blog posts and has their own social media presence. Of It's not like how we hire or anything, but oh, okay. mm-hmm. it's just as the nature of being a human being. I was just curious if that's something that it, there's a reason for that common thread between you, because, you know, there's a, a, a lot of developers out there. I have a lot of friends who are developers or designers that aren't writing posts or aren't blogging and actually sharing their stuff. So I'm curious if there's some sort of reason for that, or if it's purely just a coincidence. I mean, most are not, right? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I've always enjoyed that term, like the dark matter developer or whatever, you know, <laughs> for every developer that is sharing stuff and doing open source and going to conferences and stuff. There's probably a hundred that just do their job and go home and nobody knows they exist, you know, but they, but they have more of an influence on the industry than, than you'd think, you know. So you have CodePen and you're running also the business side of CodePen? Yeah, it's to a degree. I mean, we have there's the us three founders and we kind of split business like chores amongst us you know and there there's so many different ones there's financial stuff is definitely a big part of it that's one i hardly do anything at all yeah Yeah. (laughs) but certainly like partnerships and stuff are a part of business and i definitely do work on that stuff you know so we we split the load Okay. And so you work on the business side of CodePen, basically on the design side of CodePen. And then you have CSS tricks to run as well, everything in. And then also you have your podcast and you actually managed to publish a book this year in 2016, right? I did that too. Yeah. So how does your time split? (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's, you just wake up and you do some work, you know, it's, there's no, I don't really have any secrets (laughs) for anybody to share in that way, but. I mean, you, you say you don't have any anything like strict in managing your time. CodePen obviously is like the top priority because it's the main business. I mean, do do you have any anything like any rituals? Like I'm writing at least I don't know one hour a day or something like that. No, I, I you know I'm envious of people that do though. I have heard that from people. You know, like oh, I was able to write this book because I would wake up and I'd go to the coffee shop and I'd you know I'd write 500 words and every day and then I would then I would start my day and if I did that then I would make sure that. You know, and I never had anything like that. And I, and I probably should have, and there was little stints, I think, where I definitely, I would like intentionally context switch in which to give myself some momentum, you know, like I literally would get up and go to the coffee shop and just by virtue of being somewhere new, I was able to like switch over into Microsoft Word and be able to knock out some stuff with less distraction just because it felt like I was just switching it up and doing something new. Uh, so that was a little trick, I guess, but I don't know that that was vital to it. I think it was more important to like getting something like a book done was that I didn't, I wasn't just sitting down at a typewriter with a, with a, with a brand new fresh idea that I was thinking about for the first time. You know, the book was, you know, I had been right. I'd been speaking at conferences for like two years about SVG. So I had all these presentations that I could draw from. I have, I've been writing about SVG tons on CSS tricks. So it was kind of just like a, okay, I've learned a ton about this. I have all this existing material in the form of talks and blog posts and notes and stuff. 
can I just compile this into a book? I've already I've already told the story of SVG in the way I want to tell it a number of times. Like, how can I just tell that same story in a book format? So, you know, in a sense, it it's not like it was easy, but it was easier. It just was work that needed to be done now, not like, uh, you know, an inspiration didn't need to strike me. It was just manipulating work. Okay. All right. Because, uh, by the way, to anyone who doesn't know, the book is called Practical SVG. It's on a book apart, and we will link it in the show notes. Yes, you should. And everybody should buy it because I need to, I need to sell, honestly, I need to sell some more copies of it. <laughs> please, <laughs> please, please buy the book. Practical SVG. Chris, what did you, what did you think of the overall experience of writing a book? Is it something you'd want to do again? Yeah, I have an idea for another one. This is, was my second book. I, a, a long time ago, I wrote or co-authored with Jeff Starr a book called Digging Into WordPress. Oh, okay. Um, and that did, that did really well, but I was kind of traumatized by it only in the sense of like, holy crap, that was a lot of work <laughs> for a lot of people and I'm not anxious to do it again. And it took a long time for me and a lot of like pr- preparation and in a good partnership for me to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try it again. These days I'm, I'm thinking about like, I think I have a new thing to say that again, I don't think will be that hard of work and it will kind of be not a total recycling of other things I've did, but kind of a, a reformatting and a, you know, I want to write the book that I think people expect me to write <laughs> in a sense. And, and I think it's, it's about time for that. I'm almost guaranteed it'll take me a couple of years to actually get it done. But that's, I think I, I do have at least one more in me. Can you give us any hints on exactly what you have in mind? Or is it all still secret? <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I can't think of why I would keep it a secret, but I, I think I would write something either titled or alluding to CSS tricks, you know, like I've never written a book about CSS. Why don't I, why don't I try that and make it kind of the namesake of CSS tricks, or maybe it'd be the story of CSS tricks or what I think about running a site, or maybe it will literally be CSS tricks or something. But I I think, yeah, of the books I've written so far, they were, they were pretty far tangential for, to what I'm kind of, you know, I don't know, quote unquote known for, I guess that like, why not write the right, why not write the one that is what people expect me to write, I think. And I think I'm about ready to do that. Cool. I, w- I would love to read a book one day about the story of CSS tricks. And I mean, we can't get it all in one one hour podcast, but uh, for sure, I would love to read a whole book about your uh, your story, man. It's been exciting uh, just, you know, talking to you and, and getting into what you're doing these days and, and, and your story. We have a, a last question that we would like to wrap up with, and that's about your influencers. Who are your like influencers? Oh, yeah. People that I think about. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> Sometimes I get asked a question like this, even like, even I'm like sting around with my fiance or I'm like, could I have a month to research this and write a blog post about it instead? You know, like it's a, you know or like somebody, even if somebody's just like, you know, what are your, you know, what are your favorite action movies or whatever? I'm like, I can't, I would need to, I want to look at like a list of a thousand of them and like slowly prepare that list for you. I don't want to name some off the cuff, you know? I like to be researched about my thing. And that's kind of how I feel about this too. It's like, it's funny to just name off a few names and then later be like, oh, I should have, you know, I have a good list for this. But I, I would think that, you know, th- the easy ones are the my co-founders and all of the people that I work with on all my teams are all inspirational to me in some way. But extra shout out to Alex Vaxwez and, and, and Tim Sabat for you know, for, for running code pen with me, it's been a, it's been a, a, a crazy journey and they're both so smart and so have such good instincts and are, you know, remained calm, level-headed, kind people. And that's inspiring to me to know that we can go through all the stuff that we have and still, you know, come out strong. 
uh, always that that's inspiring to me. And of course, my parents are wonderful. I always look up to, you know, one person in the industry I always look up to is Jeremy Keith. I think he's a, a stand-up fella and what he has to say and his gentlemanly qualities I look up to. Cool. One last question, which is divided by two. What's the podcast that you listen to the most these days? And what is one recent uh, great book that you've read? Oh, interesting. Well, I just got off three days on the road. So we listened to a good number of podcasts on the way. That was good. When I have this conversation with most folks, it's like, it's always the same ones and I'm guilty of it too. Like I, I love all the, the, the classics of podcasting, like Radiolab and This American Life and, and Planet Money and all the NPR ones and stuff. I, I absolutely love all those. There's another one that I, I think maybe slightly less people have heard of, but I feel like is just as good as any of those called uh, Imaginary Worlds. Imaginary Worlds. Shout out to them. That one's Imaginary Worlds is very good. Yeah. I enjoy Dinner Party Download. That's a pretty good one. There's a, there's a new Bloomberg one called Decrypted. That's fairly good, I think. That's, that's also about startups and VC and stuff. So, you know, probably up y'all's alley. Very nice. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a few that not everybody yeah. heard of. But they're still, they're still pretty big, though. You know, they're not like tiny little niche ones like, like both of us do, I think. <laughs> Hopefully not <laughs> well, forever, You'd be surprised, though. by the way, and uh, of how many people just don't know even the most popular ones like NPR and stuff. So... Uh, it's good that you mentioned those as well. We're on the and, cutting uh, edge. Though. These are going to get big. Oh, the book, right? We just had a friend visit in, while I was up in Milwaukee, and they were visiting for uh, just a very, very niche uh, micro conference in Milwaukee called Murder and Mayhem, which is like a, a get-together for crime fiction authors. And so I was meeting this fellow for the first time. It's a longtime friend of my fiance named Alex Segura. And he wrote a book about uh, kind of a, a crime fiction book that takes place in Miami. So I was anxious to read it uh, called Silent City. And I find it highly enjoyable. Just a, a good old cool, murder nice. mystery, you know, where the like a who whodunit kind of thing. And yeah. you're like, you know, with all the expected twists and turns and stuff. And it's fun. And it's a part of what's going to be a, at least a four part series uh, with the main character named Pete Fernandez. And uh, I just enjoyed it. So, you know, sometimes that's, I think that's a lot of times what people want to read. They want to pick up a Stephen King book or something because it's just easy and it's going to be fun and it's going to be weird. And this is, this qualifies in the same way. It's just a, a good old murder mystery. Felt good. It's a very satisfying read. Very cool. Great. I definitely understand. I get the same out of a uh, fiction as well. Always uh, going back to that with a uh, nice set. It's kind of like a uh, escape. Really enjoy Cool, man. So it, it's been great. Really fun interviewing you. I mean, we've been through some very interesting points, also about like, you know, growth and about like trust with the audience. And so it's been great. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks a lot, Chris. And have a great day. I wanted to tell you about something big that we are doing this week in Hacking UI. We have partnered with General Assembly to bring you the 2016 Design Tool Survey. This survey will run for two weeks up until the 1st of December 2016. And as soon as we close the survey for submissions, we'll open source the results so we could all get a clearer picture about the tools that we use to craft our digital products. If you can, please take two minutes of your time and head on over to hackingui.com tools and fill out the survey. You'll also be able to find the post link on our homepage at hackingui.com. After submissions are closed, we will also work with a data analyst to prepare the report for you and we will share the results in a free webinar on December 6th. 
Seats are limited, so you'll be able to sign up in advance. Just visit hackingui.com slash tools and you'll find the link to sign up. Thanks a lot to General Assembly that helped us put the survey together and to all of you out there that will fill or have already filled the survey. Now let's get back to the episode. Hey everybody, what's up? So if you enjoyed this episode, I'm very happy and you're welcome to listen to the rest of the episodes of the Hacking UI podcast. I just want to let you know that this is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are no longer creating new episodes for this specific podcast. David and I are working on different businesses now. So I just wanted to let you know that first of all, if you want to catch David, you can check out Thought Leaders and that's what he's working on, thoughtleaders.io. And if you want to check out what I'm working on, I have a new podcast. It's called Creativepreneur, the Creativepreneur Show with Sagi Schreiber. And you would be able to find that on iTunes and any podcast app. And I would invite you to come and listen. And that's where I interview people that have built a lifestyle business out of their skills and passions. It's amazing. I interview so many different people that have amazing stories and will help you with your business, will help you with your skills, taking your skills to the next level and achieving higher goals. So if you're interested in that, I'm there, The Creativepreneur Show, and you can check it out also on YouTube. And you can also just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. I hope to see you around. <laughs>